Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Well, good morning, Sunridge and guests. Man, if you're here in the building or watching online, or even if you're checking us out on podcast later, we're so glad that you dropped in. And we hope that uh, by being here or listening to our message and joining us in worship, that we help you take the next best step in your walk with God. Um, Throughout history, we've seen periods when Christianity has been at the center of culture, even though flawed, uh, you know, and imperfect, yet it is embraced. Uh, We see times when that Christian thought is pushed to the margin. Reminds me a lot, like when I was growing up, you know, these had the carnival come to town and they had that centrifugal force ride Remember that thing? It always smelled like vomit near it, I noticed. And you would be in that ride, and there was like a pad and a floor, and as it spun faster and faster, pretty soon the floor fell out, and uh, you were just stuck to the wall. And it seems like in culture today, Christian thought is being spun toward the margins. And so in a culture that is increasingly untethered to the Jesus epic, Christians face pressure from without, and unfortunately, we're seeing erosion from within. And so, uh, living the way of Jesus in a culture that is counter to Christian thought is going to be, we're going to find ourselves increasingly out of sync with what's happening in the world. And you know, as we started this letter last week, Peter's first letter, um, we're learning that their situation was very similar. Now, uh, Webster's Dictionary says that counterculture is a culture with values that run counter to those of the established society. And I believe that that is what we're experiencing today. And that's why we've we've titled our letter, the study of Peter's first letter, Countercultural, because this is the exact thing, although many, many years later, the exact thing that the people in what was Asia Minor or modern Turkey today, that's what they were facing. And we're trying to find guidance from Peter's letter, who Peter had to live counterculturally as well in that first century. And remember their situation in this region that Peter is writing to, uh, this is around 64 or 65 AD, to Christians who are scattered, is the way that Peter puts it. And it is, again, it's modern-day Turkey. And history shows us that at this point, they're not facing full-scale persecution, but they're finding themselves increasingly on the fringe of the way the culture is designed and the way culture thinks. And the language, if you remember, that Peter uses, the imagery, he draws on this dark period um, 
in the history of the Hebrew people where he says that he, call, he says you are like foreigners and exiles that have been scattered. And I loved Eugene Peterson, the author of uh, The Message. I love his way of expressing this. He says that the essential meaning of exile is that we are where we don't want to be and we are separated from home. Likely you felt that sometime as a Christian. You felt like a foreigner or an exile. You might have felt it in, you know, the disenfranchisement that you feel as a Christian in our culture today. Or you might feel it in kind of your own disenchantment in the way the Christian community is responding to that countercultural experience. And I think it's especially alarming in how we're seeing this reflected in the younger generations in our day and time. In their book, uh, You Lost Me, authors David Kinneman and Allie Hawkins state this, that the church dropout rate for young adult Christians has increased from 59% to 64% in the last 10 years. Now, if you, if you just do some quick math there, what that is saying is that young adults who either grew up in a Christian home or embraced Christian thought and values, two-thirds of them are dropping out today. And the picture I have, it's like toothpaste getting squeezed out and then trying to stuff it back in the tube. It's it's incredibly difficult and unlikely that when a young adult kind of like deconstructs and moves away from Christian thought, it's very unlikely that you can get them back in the tube. That's, that's what we're living today. And the question is, like, what do we do about that? What is God calling us to be or the way to think or to do in this culture, in the dynamics that we're facing. You guys have heard of fight or flight before, right? That's a, a, a response that our body has to what we think is danger. And humans, it's just the way we're wired, typically respond to hostility with fear or anger. That's another way of saying fight or flight. We respond in fear when we experience the discomfort of the, the way the culture is becoming less and less Christian, and we feel less at home. And so we, when we're fearful, we, we create a bubble. We isolate ourselves. And, you know, like in, in my generation, you know, like I saw like different iterations of this as I, as I grew up. You know, do you remember like when you'd go to church and you could actually get like a pamphlet of all the Christian businesses in town? Like, you know, you, you said, I'm going to have a Christian plumber and a Christian electrician and Christian mechanic. And it's like we just became all things Christian. And we do it in different ways of isolating ourselves when we're fearful uh, to the extent that we could find some remote property and dig a shelter and load it up with food and guns. You know, that's really, it's a fearful reaction to what we're experiencing. We're afraid for our future. But then we can also respond in anger. 
And that, that is when we respond in anger to this pressure, we're like, we create a church into a fortress from which we rant on social media and we're looking to battle constantly with our culture. And we see people, rather than people who need the gospel, we see them as enemies to be destroyed. Now that's, I, you know, like I know that you're, many of you, you're tracking with me on this. You've experienced these same emotions and maybe had some of these same responses. I'm not being derogatory at all. I think that this is totally human and it's totally natural for us to do that. But here's my question. Are those our only choices? Fear and anger? Fight or, fight or flight? Do we either have to retreat in fear or like load up in anger against our culture? Is that a biblical response? Is that the Jesus response? Or is there another option? And that's what I want to explore a little bit today, if you'll give me permission to do so in the next 30 minutes with you. If you've been feeling like Christianity is either under attack or has taken a turn for the worse, I want you to consider our author of this letter that we're going to study now for another 12 weeks after this. It's Peter. And if you know nothing else about him, you know that the rooster crowed after his denial, right? We all know that. But you may not know that Peter, formerly Simon, was a fisherman. And he's pretty rough and tumble, it appears. You know, he, and he followed John the Baptist until his brother Andrew introduced him to Jesus. And the Bible kind of, like, the Gospels kind of show him to be sort of impulsive, sometimes selfish, self, uh, short-tempered. But as he apprenticed under Jesus, um, he changes and, and then Jesus changes his name. We, we say Peter, but literally it's Petra, which means rock. And Jesus, that new name is signifying the rock-solid character that Peter is going to, you know, exemplify in this part of Christianity's history. And he emerges as a church leader after Acts, after Pentecost. And um, the tradition that we understand is that he was later, just a few years after writing this letter, that he's crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. So dramatic change for him. And in his days of apprenticeship with Jesus, he uh, was very familiar with fear and anger responses to hostility. I mean, he could fight with the best of them, right? And if you recall, one time he cut a guy's ear off it was threatening, right? And then he could also be fearful because after Jesus was executed, he denied Jesus and then added a few curses just to make an exclamation point on it, right? So besides being an apostle with a capital A, someone that walked with Jesus and had that firsthand experience He's lived through this cultural resistance. He's lived in a day and time when there's turmoil in the world and persecution is imminent. 
but he's also made his fair share of mistakes along the way. And so what the, when, he, when he talks, he's talking from real life, his experiences. So I would say that he's qualified to talk about this topic. And I think that we're all going to be surprised by what he says to Christians living in that tension and what it means to live counterculturally. Do you remember last week, we kind of introduced the, the context and everything, and then, you know, in every letter in your New Testament, there's kind of an introduction. And we, we went through that, and so Peter has done that. And in verse 3, he kind of starts in on what he's about to say in this section. And here's how he starts. And keep in mind who he's writing to and what they're facing, okay? Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Really? Are, are you thinking, like, if you're hearing that in a culture where you're facing the hostility that they were, are you thinking that maybe Peter's lost his marbles or something? Yeah, me too. Thank you. It's a, you can talk back to the preacher. <laughs> Is he out of touch with reality? Okay, only a little bit. What if you came in to talk to me? You know, like you said, I want some counseling, Britt. And you said, man, that's just like, I'm really worried about the future. And I'm facing this at work or with my friends or with my, uh, my uh, you know, at my, at my college, in my dorm. You're a parent and you're worried about what your kids are going to be taught in school. And you just unloaded all these anxieties. And I said to you, praise God. I mean, you'd be saying, aren't we supposed to either be planning our escape or a war plan? Why don't you just right now say those two words out loud? Praise God. Praise See, Jesus said in John's gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, and we look at this statement a lot by Jesus. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And, and you know, we think of that it's like this really easy, beautiful, everything's in alignment life. But that's not the context in which Jesus said it. And it's certainly not the context in which the first century Christians are living. Is it true? Do we believe that Jesus came to give us a full life? I've titled this message, you know, uh, Living Fully in a Culture of Hostility. And the, the question is, can, can we do this? Is it realistic? I, think, I believe that we can. That's why Peter writes this letter. You guys ever play that game, Suspend? You know, like it has the little bent wires. Anybody have that? Am I, is my family the only family that's into Suspend? It has these little bent wires and you hang them and it, you know as your turn comes around you have to hang it without them all falling and sometimes when it's your turn you're holding your thing and you're like from where you're sitting you can't there's no place to hang that thing without making the whole thing collapse so you have to get up out of your seat and you have to walk around to the other side of the table and get a different perspective and i think that's what peter does in this letter 
And that's what he's going to do right here. We're going to look at this text in three sections. And Peter's going to present three thoughts, three different perspectives. But we're going to look at those sections through the lens of a question, three different questions. Peter doesn't ask them, but he answers them. And so I believe that if we're going to live fully in a time when Christian thought is not embraced, we need to be asking these questions and we need to have the right answer to those questions. Because otherwise, none of what Peter will say will make sense to you. And, and I don't believe that we will have the perspective that enables us to live fully in this day and time. The first question is, who are we? Who are we? Now, we're not going to put the verses up on here. I want you to just listen to this section as I read it to you. Because as we've learned, like when, the, when these letters came to the communities, everybody didn't get a copy. We, they didn't have version on their phone and Paper was and scrolls were very expensive. So somebody would come and read this section. And so the church would gather and they would just listen to the words. So that's what I want you to do right now. And I want you to imagine yourself sitting in somebody's home. And your context is you're fearful. Maybe you're angry about what's happening. In your exact same phase of life, you got little kids, you're not married yet, your kids are out of school, your kids are married, and with all the anxieties that you would bring, I just want you to listen to these words. You can even close your eyes if you want to. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, open your eyes if you would. So think of the word, one word that just came out of what you were hearing. Like what's a word that just describes it? Just one word. Now, look around, see somebody that you do not know. You can't, you can't do this with someone you already know. I want you to look around, turn around. Go ahead and do it. You guys all know me. Some of you are like, I don't know you. I'm new here. It's like, <laughs> so let's look around and say your word to that person. Okay. Okay, now turn back around and invite them to lunch today because you don't know them. <laughs> what was your word? Hope. Grace. Anybody have fear or anger? No. Now look, we're going to put it up on the screen, this passage, and I want you to look at the words that jump off the page. And again, think about it through the, through the context of what they're living, okay? You have been given a gift. The gift is new birth. 
which is the way they spoke of conversion at that time. Remember, Paul said in his letter that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. So like, and Jesus talked about being born again. You've been given a new birth into what? A living hope. And that hope is not pie in the sky. It's living, and it can't die because it comes through his resurrection. This hope comes from Jesus' resurrection. I love what Warren Wearsby says about this. Hope is not a sedative. It is a shot of adrenaline, a blood transfusion. Like an anchor, our hope in Christ stabilizes us in the storms of life. But unlike an anchor, our hope moves us forward. It does not hold us back. That's good, huh? Well, I think it is. Look at the other word, inheritance. This hope has given you an inheritance. And again, Peter is drawing on his ancestral history, the idea that the thing for, a, for an Israelite was like, I need my piece of land. I need a place to call home. And that's what God gave them, each of them, by their tribes. They had this place that was theirs, and it meant blessing. It meant future. It meant a place to belong. Only this inheritance will never perish, which means decay. It will never spoil. That is, it's not time-dependent like your, your uh, carton of milk at home, and it will never fade. It will never droop like a flower. Why? Why won't it? Because it is kept, which is, it is guarded or, or uh, reserved. It's kept in heaven like Fort Knox in a, in a place that is unassailable. This hope cannot be taken. Why not? Because it is shielded, which means to guard or watch over. It's a military term. It is shielded by God's power until Jesus returns or you go to heaven. So if you're fearful, don't sweat it. Who do you belong to? So... Back to our question, who are you? Now, on your notes, there's a place where I just says, it says, I am. And you can do this in case you know, you're bored with what I'm talking about already. You can just work on this. But I want you to fill that in because that's your answer to this question. But you can save it for later if you're sitting on the edge of your seat listening to me right now. One of the reasons Christians are reacting today with fear and anger to our situation is we've forgotten who we are. We've lost our identity. You see, if you're a Christian and you, your image of yourself is blue-collar or white-collar, Republican or Democrat, whether you're white, black, brown, purple, if you're a capitalist or you're a socialist or you're conservative or you're liberal or you're a hippie or you're the man, and you align yourself with that, that is your, that is your picture of yourself because you think that will save you, you've forgotten who you are, Christian. And so... I would say if, you have, if you're experiencing fear or anger, read verses 3 through 5 every day this week. Memorize it. Say it. And if you're a Christian, let's put our eyes and our mind on the one who has given us a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then, no matter what's happening, we can declare, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who are you? Question two, why are we facing adversity? Why are we facing adversity? So let's first of all acknowledge that we are facing it, that it's there. I know we don't want it, but it is there. And in verse 6, Peter says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Again, Peter's identifying with their situation. He's not just preaching at them. He's saying, yeah, we're all living this. And Paul wrote to Timothy and said, if, if you're a Christian, you are going to suffer persecution. And sometimes we read that or we take that thought in a way that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and we bring all the problems on ourselves. We ask for it. That's not what he's saying. It is a general prediction that if you live, in a, live as a Christian, no matter what period of time you lived in, there are going to be points in which if, if you live the Jesus way, you will encounter conflict with your culture and sometimes within your own faith community. You know, I learned this idea so early in, in when I became a Christian. I became a Christian in 10th grade, and uh, I was not the most likely to become a Christian, if you know what I mean. But immediately, I knew some things had to get cut out of my life. So, you know, parents you know, like earmuffs, um, I used to smoke weed. And I smoked dope in sixth grade. But when I, so like, that's quite a few years of that being my drug of choice. And yet when I became a Christian, I knew that had to go away. I know it's legal now and it's a whole other conversation, but um, when I, I, I decided I was going to stop smoking weed, and I, and I tried to stop cussing. <laughs> so um, I would go and hang out with my friends. I'd be at a party, and, you know, everyone would be passing a joint around, and I would pass on it. I'd say, no thanks, and, it, you know, and I'd say, I don't, I don't smoke anymore. And, you know, the person next to me would be holding a toke in, and say, oh, that's really cool, you know? And, uh, and I, then I'd say, yeah, I became a Christian. <laughs> that's weird, they would say. So it was okay that I stopped, but as soon as I brought, I stopped because I'm a Christian, that was totally weird <clears throat> to them. So, like, I learned right away. When Peter writes here, there are all kinds of trials that we'll face He's saying it means varied and multicolored and diversified. And, you know, just a couple of years later, the Roman emperor Nero showed no lack of creativity and color in bringing persecution to believers at that time. Christians were wrapped in freshly slaughtered animal skins and fed to wild animals. They were dipped in pitch or tar and set on fire to light Nero's gardens at night. And Peter, as we already mentioned, likely died in that first round of persecution that came. But at the time of Peter's letter, it hadn't reached that level. And there are a lot of parallels. As we go through the letter, you're going to see their challenges were very similar to ours. You know, so long ago, they were living with a different sex ethic. They 
their, the Christian concept of marriage was totally different in how a husband and wife relate to one another and their commitment to each other. They are on the fringe in terms of political persuasion because they would not call Caesar Lord. They had all these cultural challenges and clashes because of the value system that they had. And in the church, leadership was based on character and gifting, not power or privilege or wealth. And you know, our response to these clashes is really important because that cultural dissonance that we feel can lead us down an avoidance path or an angry path. But Peter leads them down another way. He leads them down a redemptive path. In verse 6, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice. And then he, then he rolls out the why question. He answers the why. These have come so that the, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And again, I'm going to warn Wearsby for the win here. Um, the trials of life test our faith to prove its sincerity. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. See, proven, genuine faith happens through this refining process. And Peter makes this point with an illustration, and it's one of a goldsmith. And in those times, you know, they would gather the ore in order to make some gold object or jewelry, and they would, they would heat that ore to 1,900 degrees. Now, like, this is pre-OSHA, right? When we say sweatshop, this is a real sweatshop. This guy's in there, and he's heating up this ore. And as the impurities rise, he's skimming them off, and he heats it more, and he skims it off until all they have left is pure gold. And some scholars that I've read say that, you know, they didn't, they didn't have all the chemical tests that we have today, that one of the ways that they would identify that they have refined this down to pure gold is they would be able to see their reflection in the pot. Are you tracking with me? So how many of us have thought about this tension that we feel within the church, without the church, through the lens that this, this is refining my faith? And refining faith for a Christian is to become more like Jesus. Have you thought about it that way? How's it going? See, according to Peter, when we see our identity as a new creation with this living hope as apprentices to Jesus, we can rejoice in the adversity that we face. Because one, it's helping us practice our faith. And two, it's achieving the goal of helping us find and follow Jesus. And that's something that's worth a lot more than just gold to God, and it should be to us, and certainly for the sake of others. 
So why are we, are we facing adversity? And then again, here's another section in your notes. Feel free to fill it out later or to doodle now. Adversity will. Because you, as a Christian, you need the answer to that question. You need to be clear on who you are and what, why you're facing adversity. Because that proven, genuine faith will result in praise, glory, and honor to Jesus. And isn't that what we want as Christ followers? The fact is that the impact of light is much greater in the dark, isn't it? So let's take a gut check. Has your response to the trials of the recent years resulted in praise, glory, and honor of Jesus? Think about all the challenges that we faced and all the ways that we've become divided and all the things that Christians are also arguing about because we're feeling this pressure from without and from within is it resulting in praise and honor and glory to Jesus? How many of you became Christians because you knew a Christian and you watched them go through something and something, a bell went off in your head? It's like there's something about them. And then how many of us have had someone in the last year or so who was not a Christian come to you and talk to talk to us about why our faith is making us different. This is a moment we're living in the church and we are being tested. We have been tested and we have to see what is happening in the world today and in our own faith community as an opportunity to bring praise, honor, and glory to Jesus. More and more we'll see that as we go through this letter. We'll see the opportunities that God gives us in a time of adversity and trial. Question three, last one. What do I possess? What do I possess? Because we think, you know, how cool would it be to live in Jesus's day? Like to be right there with him as one of his first followers. But if you really think it through, um, Besides the fact that there was no air conditioning, your feet were dirty all the time, and there was no surfing yet. Like it really, it, it's really much better to live in the AD times than the BC times. Because we have something that they could never imagine. I want you to see it in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Again, remember, these are first generation Christians. And this is the, the first generation of Christians who did not walk with Jesus. They're, they're, they've heard of it. They've experienced it and it's transformed them, but they're listening to the, these eyewitness accounts. And Peter says to them, you have an advantage living in the, great, in the age of full grace. And to, to, to illustrate that, he, he uses two categories. 
He talks about prophets and angels. And I want to unpack that and then we'll be done. The prophets spoke of this period. They spoke of the coming of the gospel, but they didn't understand it as fully as you and I do, nor that first century Christian. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So that's a really long way of saying the prophets could only talk about this. They could preach about it and prophesy about it and look forward to this age, but it was not an event that they could participate in. And then he adds, even angels long to look into these things. And that word is like to peer over. The angels are looking at, can't you just picture them? Like if heaven's up there, you're just like, they're looking down. Have you ever like had to like get down and like peer into something? It's dark in this cave. Or um, I, I remember like, uh, I used to go spearfishing with my football coach and uh, we would spearfish, but then every once in a while we'd see a lobster or something and we'd grab them. And that we saw these antennas coming out underneath this ledge and we both went up underneath this ledge. It was really dark and deep under there. And as we went up underneath there, there was a moray eel right in our face. And being a survivalist, Somehow I grabbed the back of his tank to push myself away and I shoved him into it. And as he came out, like he actually took his regulator out and he was yelling something at me, but I don't, you know, that's what it means. Like you have to get up underneath it. That's what the angels are doing. They're like looking down and they can't really understand this because they are not redeemed beings. They have a heavenly but limited perspective of grace because angels have never experienced redemption. Think about it. Until Jesus' resurrection, forgiveness of sin was always insufficient and temporary. Do you thank God often for eternal forgiveness or do you wake up thinking about how you got to knock out a sacrifice this week to get your coverage? When it comes to the Holy Spirit, you know, in the Old Testament... The spirit came and went and God was encountered mainly in the temple. And now his spirit resides in us. We experience the constant presence of God through the Holy Spirit. Think about the fact that like we stand on, we have this Bible because of the resurrection. The resurrection happened and we have confidence in that, and the disciples, until after the resurrection, until they totally absorbed it, they just were following Jesus, you know, banking on that he was telling them the truth. And for us, the gospel isn't just a doctrine that we believe. We, we experience the changed heart and life and God's love. And we have all of these resources available to us. We have more information and we have more history of like examples of how people have lived through different times. We have the longest historical perspective of Christianity of any time before us, right? So we should be better informed. So our confidence 
should be so much higher. What's wrong with us? The, prof- the prophets could only predict and talk about what was coming, and the angels can only observe it. What do we possess? And again, there's a section in your notes to write. I have. What do you have? You need to know that answer. You need to know who you are, why you're facing what you're facing, and you need to know what you have as a Christian today. And if you know those answers, you're going to be able to live fully in a day where it's not just a piece of cake. But ask the band to come up. And while they do, um, to live counterculturally, the way Peter's going to present it is to live fully in a time that might be hostile, it might be different. It's going to be challenging, but we're able to do it because of who we are, because what that adversity is doing in us, and because of what we have. You see, the living fully is not about the situation that we're in, but what or who we're looking at. And that's where Peter's writing from. Remember, remember Peter is the guy that walked on water. Do you, know, you remember this story? Jesus invited him out of the boat and he got out there and he walked on the water. And then, you know, Matthew goes on to say, and then when he saw the wind and waves, where was he looking? And as he sank, he cried out, Lord, save me. That's you. That's me. That's us. We're, we're living in a time where we have to walk in a place that doesn't feel solid to us. And as long as we're looking at the wind and the waves, we will sink. If you're sinking, you should just stop and look toward Jesus and say, Lord, save me because You're his child. And because the things that we're facing today, God is doing a work in us that could never be done in any other way. And it brings us an opportunity to shine the light of the gospel in a world that needs it so desperately. And we stand on something solid because of what we possess, what we have as people who name the name of Christ. You know, we can either fight or we can run and hide. Those are options. But you know, there's a third option. We can fold. We can just give up and assimilate. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. How do we live holy in a culture that's morally relative. That's what we're going to talk about next week. But that's next week, so you have to come back. Let's stand, and I want to pray, and then let's uh, spend a few moments worshiping together in response to these things. And remember, like, when you leave here, like, really take time to answer those three questions, and it's going to give you a perspective 
not just through this book, but on life. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.